This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My regular co-host, AJ Scholes, is back from his European vacation, and you now get his vacation tips as well as his hockey opinions on Twitter <laughs> at AJScholes24. Welcome back, partner. Good to have you. Yeah, excited to be back. Uh, you know, it's uh, obviously vacations... Uh, fun and enjoyable, but uh, it's a little bit harder to watch hockey over in Europe. The games usually don't start until about one in the morning. Um, I did catch a few games. You, you can uh, I'll let our listeners guess which teams I tried to cue in on for staying up that late. But yeah, good time as always. But uh, let's dive right into it, Paul. I'm excited to be back. So before we kick off the rest of the show, just remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineup, fantasy, hockey, or just hockey in general, you can tweet at us, and we'll try and answer those uh, throughout the week. You can follow me at AJScholes24, and you can follow Paul, the Statsman, at Statsman22. Okay, AJ, what we'll do today is the usual thing, a tour around the NHL. And t- I-, I thought today we'd take a look at the rosters and see uh, if there's any surprises and uh, some movement. And I'm, I-, I managed to find some stuff, and, and I want to get your reaction. I know that you didn't do a lot of scouting over there, but... Certainly, you're fluent with the stats and numbers, and we can do a fly around as usual. So let's get into it with the Anaheim Ducks. They're surprising a little, a uh, little bit with to me, AJ, with that six-three and zero start. I didn't think this team would be that good this year, and one of the reasons why is they're moving some youngsters into the lineup. I'm thinking of Max Comtois. He's getting left-wing minutes on uh, on the top line, along with consistent power play time. And Sam Steele uh, is in the lineup too, although he's got a third-line center role. Uh, two assists in his last four games. This guy was a big-time scorer in junior. I'm expecting big things when he gets uh, acclimatized, but it might be a little bit early to go uh, go heavy on him in terms of betting for success. In the nets, we're seeing a heavy load for John Gibson so far. Uh, Ryan Miller's 2-0 and in relief, but Gibson started 7-9. of That speaks to me like he's going to be in line for 60-plus games, Ben. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. Although, you know, Miller's, uh, you know, strong start to the season is definitely a case um, for maybe cutting back that workload, you know, as the season goes along. But I do think Gibson is one of those guys that really thrives off playing uh, that much. Unfortunately, he's had some injuries in the past that have limited him. And I think that's kind of hurt uh, his his numbers there. But I, I've 
at this point, 60 seems like a lock, uh, possibly even 65. Um, we'll obviously see how that goes in terms of Comtois uh, and Steele. You know, I, I like them uh, t- trying out these younger guys, especially for a team that was supposed to be kind of rebuilding, retooling, whatever you want to say. My concern with Comtois is that five games in getting that top six role, there's no goals yet there. Uh, and so he's still working on that. In fact, the, the more concerning fact is three shots through five games so hopefully he can get that rate up a little bit more you know if you're going to be playing top six i like a minimum of two shots a night i prefer three four is obviously all you can ask for one has to go in if you put four shots on net uh almost obviously that's not the case but uh so i'd like a little bit more out of him in terms of getting uh pucks on net and at least giving his teammates opportunities you know for a tip um or for something like that you know what i love the fact that you brought up the shot rate because this early in the season we're looking for spikes in that in that uh, column uh, as an indicator of what these guys are up to the guys that we think might may have an impact that we didn't see earlier on so that's a really good indicator i'm really glad you brought that up right off the top in uh, the Arizona Coyotes camp, they're pretty excited about a 4-2 and one start. Might this be a year where they qualify for the postseason? It's way too early to tell, of course, but good, in- good early indications. Clayton Keller uh, looks like he's uh, enjoying life. Uh, six points in the first seven games. I expect a big re- rebound for this guy. He got 47 points last year. That was down significantly from the prior year, but I think we can see 60-plus if he sticks in that top six role, particularly on the first unit. I think the same could be true for Goligoski on the blue line, AJ. He's got four points so far, and he's a couple of seasons removed from being a a top-scoring defenseman in the Dallas situation, but kind of cut back on the points uh, since he joined Arizona. This could be a turnaround season for him in that regard, too. So we want to keep an eye on that, and also want to keep an eye on the goalie split here. Uh, We know uh, Kemper is a guy that can handle a heavy workload, and he's playing well, but Antti Ranta has looked pretty good out of the gate in his two starts, and he's a big-ticket guy here in terms of salary, so kind of curious if that might play into things uh, and and alter the goalie split that we forecast well i think the biggest concern here for me is is honestly phil kessel at this point you know you mentioned could this be the year they break in the playoffs after they made that move this had to be the year they break into the playoffs right like that's the whole point of bringing in phil kessel is to become a playoff team and he started off slow didn't have any goals in his first five games and now he does have two but they both came in the same game on the power play and that's kind of been what you saw out of him the last few years uh in pittsburgh this kind of reliance on his points coming on the power play which look if you need a guy to anchor your number one unit phil is the way to go um he will get into open ice he will fire that rocket of a shot off uh and and get it into the net but you need for a guy that's supposed to be carrying this team in terms of production you need him scoring five on five and that just hasn't happened yet three of his four points are on the power play including both of his goals it's got to start coming here at some point you look at his uh shooting percentage it's only 10 percent I mean, that's ridiculously low for a sniper like Phil Kessel. And so something's got to start going here or this team's not going to make the playoffs. And that's going to be a huge disappointment after you make the big move. AJ, you missed a pretty good game on Saturday night here in Toronto. The Boston Bruins came to town. The Leafs uh, escaped with a 4-3 victory in overtime. They were outplayed in two of the three periods big time. But a lot of that had to do with the fact that the Leafs got into penalty trouble while the Bruins didn't even go into the penalty kill mode all night. And I can't remember. I saw some Bruins fans after the game. And I said, can you guys remember the last time the Bees played a game without 
uh, killing a penalty. It was unbelievable what they got away with on the night, so I just had to put that in. But uh, I'll begin their analysis of the bees with the math time question. Uh, I know I don't want to burden you with too many numbers here that way, but the big line has 15 of the 22 goals so far for this club. I think that's an unsustainable pattern, despite the fact that they're off to such a big start. The remaining lines have only chipped in seven goals, and uh, you multiply that out, that's not that's not going to be great on the season. And one of the casualties early on is Carlson Kuhlman lost his top six role with six pointless games on his ledger so far. And I think Brett Ritchie's miscast as a second-line right wing. So they need to f- bolster the second line is what I'm saying. And I'm looking for one of Danton Hyland or David Backus to eventually get into that role, maybe sooner rather than later. And I also called for an off year for David Krejci at the start of the season. Well, he's got one assist in the five games he's played, and now he's missing his third game due to injury uh, when the Bees host the Leafs in the return match tonight. I'll take your concerns about unsta- uh, unsustainability even further. You talked about 15 of the 20 goals coming from that first line. Nine have come from David Pasternak. And so that's a little bit of a too much of a re- reliance here on one guy. Now I get he's playing with Marchant and Bergeron, and those guys are great at uh, you know drawing defenders and opening up space. But you also look at his shooting percentage, 33.3%. That is 100% unsustainable. This guy is not going to be able to keep that up. Uh, Seven points on the power play. If you've got him on your fantasy team, uh, that's great for you. You're living high. Um, There may be a consideration if you find yourself needing to make a move, maybe sell high on David Pasternak right now because those numbers are so uh, unsustainable. Now, that's not to say I expect a drop-off. I still think he's going to have a great year. You don't need to trade him. But if you are looking to get several pieces in a season-long move, high, uh, you know, sell high, buy low, and now is a decent time to sell high um, if you have him and need to bolster the rest of your lineup. That's an interesting call. I wonder if there's anybody out there that would take you up on that advice. I, I certainly like having him in, in the lineup when I can, but uh, your point's a great one, you know, selling high. There's nobody higher than him right now in terms of being red hot. The Buffalo Sabres, another team that's red hot out of the gate, 7-1-1, one, one, their record. Everything's working right now. When you consider they have three scoring lines in place, they have two solid D pairs going. And even their goaltending has excelled with Carter Hutton sporting a 164 goals against average in five starts. Can all three of these things last? I have my doubts. Uh, I'm concerned also about uh, moving Marcus Johansson in as the second line center. He's never played extended minutes in the middle of the ice. It's working out so far, but... uh, this this might be uh, a straw house uh, and it might be ready to fall anytime soon. I, I don't see the sustainability here, AJ. That's what I'm telling you. I actually don't mind the move here. I mean, it's obviously working out seven points in, in those nine games, uh, you know, for uh, for Johansson. And I, I think uh, it may be a, a good move at this point. You know, they're not an exceptionally deep center team. Um, you know, Sam Reinhardt can move over there if you want to, but I think he plays so well with Jack Eichel that you really don't want to get into that. And so I, it feels like a good fit. The other thing that seems to be fitting really well for them right now is Casey Middlestad. You know, I talked at the start of the season that we were waiting to see more out of him three goals, three assists through the first nine games, Uh, three of those points coming on the power play. That's exactly what you want out of a third line center. And maybe he pushes uh, Johansson for the second line spot, but I just don't think 
they would be well suited. I think Johansson's best, uh, his skill set suits a top six role playing with a guy like Jeff Skinner. And if they have to slot him in at center, so be it. Uh, I think so far it's working, and, and I don't see any reason to change it at this point. The Calgary Flames are 6-4-1, and one, a winning record. Uh, I, I was wondering if they would be on the right side of that ledger. It's been helpful for them that Rasmus Anderson has picked up some slack on the blue line. Playing with Mark Giordano hasn't hurt his cause, and he's seeing a bump in ice time and power play time that wasn't forecast by many, so it's worth noting. The guy who is headed the other way on that blue line core is T.J. Brody, uh, his profile takes a corresponding hit, and it may last a while if they hold uh, onto the current situation, which seems reasonable to me. Michael Ferlik has a top six uh, scoring opportunity on the right side because of a couple of injuries here. Manchapani and Bennett are are out, and uh, both of them underperformed year to date. So Ferlik has a chance to have some sneaky good value in the top six here. At this point in the season, I think David Riddish might win the role for most inconsistent goalie right now. You know, you've got. Uh, three games with one goal or less, including a 34 save shutout performance against Vancouver, uh, you know, early in the season, but then four games of four goals or, or more allowed, including a disaster against Vegas in which he gave up six on 30 shots. I mean, this is a guy, if you're looking in terms of fantasy points, uh, you know, I'll just talk DFS real quick off the top 47 in that game against Vancouver, 30 over 30 twice, but then a zero against Vegas, 6.4, 8.4. So really this guy is super hit and miss. Uh, you look and you can't even break it down into the team matchups. You know, Dallas has been a struggling team. He had a good outing against them. Same with Vancouver. Um, but he's struggled against LA as well, who has been inconsistent. Um, you know, so really just a very hit or miss and a guy that season long, I might avoid and maybe, uh, you know, kind of slot him into a DFS only category and try and figure out when the best night is to use him. But unfortunately at this point, it's hard to really pin that down. The Carolina Hurricanes, not unlike the Buffalo Sabres, off to an early start that is impressive with a 6-3 mark. Six and three mark. Uh, I have questions here, too. Uh, Jay McGinn on right wing on the top line. Surprising that he's there, but and he's only got three assists, so I don't know that that's built to last. They are hin- they're hinging on their success is the performance of two goalies who rank outside the top ten in the league in, in terms of Reimer and uh, Mrazek. I don't know how they can keep that up. Eric Hull is off to a great start, a surprise contributor with seven goals and one assist, but right now he's day-to-day after taking a big hit. And uh, my first Jake Gardner update of the season, AJ, one goal, one assist, a minus record, and barely uh, a shot on goal per game here. So they're expecting more from a guy who is all about offense when you consider the overall skill set that Gardner brings to the table. And right now he's just not delivering. Yeah, and it's not for a lack of opportunities either. You look now, his power play time has dwindled a little bit lately, but um, last five games, uh, still averaging almost two minutes a game on the power play. So you would expect a higher shot rate than one shot per game over that stretch when you're getting opportunities on the power play. Uh, the other, obviously, big, big concern here is Sebastian Ajo. Just two goals and one assist through nine games this season. Uh, and his shot rate is right where you would want it. Uh, uh, you know, 30 uh, shots in those nine games. That's pretty decent. It's over three a game, um, but just hasn't been able to convert at this point uh, and has no power play points either. Um, does have a shorthanded goal uh, out of his two, but really uh, that's a big concern for them to start here. And they need to figure out a way to get him going or this season's going to be over before it even starts. Chicago Blackhawks are one of the 
the few teams that have played not played so much so far. They're two, three, and one overall. I'm surprised about the goalie split here. Corey Crawford starting four of the six games, but Robin Leonard's really outperformed him. If you look at the stats that he's put up in his two appearances, I wonder when they might give uh, Leonard some rope and let him run with it here. Um, the the makeover in terms of moving away from some of the all, the their all star veterans is is in place. Uh, Brent Seabrook, one of the guys paying for that, uh, his man and minutes played are down. As is his power play time. Uh, a couple other guys like named Gustafsson and Keith taking the lion's share there. Youngster Kirby Dak made his debut as the second line center after an injury slowed him his start to the season. Alex Nylander is in the lineup still, but he's dropped to the right wing on the fourth line. These kids are part of a makeover that they've done on the fly here, and I'd like your comments on that, AJ, in terms of your rating the success or failure of this as you see it over the last year. I mean, I think there's certainly some opportunities here. Uh, you know, Doc, I think uh, we just haven't seen what we've gotten out of him yet. Debrincat, I think at this point, projects to be, um, you know, a success, uh, especially. Uh, yep, yep, yeah. same there. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the one, you know, that they brought over, Alex Nylander, uh, they got to see what they got in him, but they didn't have to, in my opinion, didn't really have to pay up uh, too much uh, to get him. Uh, for for a position that they were kind of flush in anyway, so they get an opportunity to to bring him in. The one thing I did want to talk about with Chicago uh, is kind of this weird schedule anomaly that's going on right now. Now, for Chicago and Philadelphia, it makes sense. Chicago's only played six games, Philadelphia seven, um, while Dallas has played 11 games so far to start the season. Now, for those two clubs, it makes sense because they played overseas. They had the you know time off after that. Uh, no harm, no foul there, but the Rangers have only played six games. Arizona has only played seven. This seems like a very weird situation that's going on right now early in the season where you have a team like Dallas that is almost being overworked with 11 games uh, while, you know, a club like the Rangers who for no apparent reason had like almost a week off to start the season. And I, I think it's really, um, you know, somewhat unfair here in terms of, of the scheduling here. I would like to see that, you know, obviously at the end of the year, everybody's playing 82 games. It'll stabilize. It'll come around. But I do think it's somewhat advantageous for a team to play less games at the start of the year when you're trying to get your legs under you, trying to work in new systems, new power plays, new penalty kills, stuff like that. And so I think, unfortunately, that is part of the reason why you see a Dallas club that's three, seven and one right now. And in Colorado, the fortunes are diametrically opposed to that. They're on a 7-1-1 tear to start the season. Their big line is firing. They've got 12 of the 35 team goals. That's what, uh, But there's a, it's a lot of depth scoring behind them. We called the second line as one to watch here. They brought in three players from different teams, and they put them all together. And right now, those three guys have produced nine goals and delivering like we said that they would at the start of the season. So if you've got Kadri and company there uh, cooking for you, they're, they're rewarding you so far in terms of the early returns. In other news here, Philip Grubauer looks very good behind this overall structure, holding out of the number one role, his first kick at that cat, and uh, so far the early returns are positive. We also said that this was something, a situation that we could forecast. And uh, in the third really accurate prediction we made here, Valery Nichushkin, can't even succeed in, in a loaded lineup like this. He's playing fourth line minutes, picked up only one assist in five games played, and is locked into at best a fourth line role here. Well, I hate to be so self-promoting here, Paul, but you know you've got two other guys that uh, that we talked about at the start of the right. season: Kale McCarr 
eight assists through nine games. That's phenomenal. Five of which came on the power play. And Andre Burakovsky, the guy that I said I would still take this season, and even though I might regret it later, so far I haven't. Eight points through nine games as well. Four of those uh, put into the back of the net. So really, um, hopefully you tuned in when we talked about Colorado here and you took some of these other guys outside of the you know the top names here because there really was an opportunity to build here and maybe in some you know in some leagues that maybe are only 10 uh, teams that are a redraft league this might be an opportunity for you to take another look here and see if these guys might still be available and uh, in columbus they're sporting a 4-3 and 2 record after the overtime win last night against the leafs elvis merza lincoln's was a guy that we wondered if he would uh, put pressure on corpus Allo. He really hasn't. He's been less than ordinary in his couple of starts. But Corpus Allo's been pretty serviceable at 2.70 goals against, despite a pretty ordinary 9.05 save percentage. Josh Anderson returned last night to the lineup here, and this guy's a key to their overall structure and resumed a role as a scoring line winger. He had an impact in last night's game, too. Looked very effective for his first start uh, in a while. Ryan Murray, a third offensive blue line option here. is a bit of a luxury behind the top pair, which is a couple of guys that are almost all-star candidates year after year. Uh, Folino on the left wing at the top line role is an interesting move here. He's moved up and down in the last couple of years, but the captain is used to that and the kind of a plug-and-play type. But he could be pushed by Texier, who could challenge him if he gets hot. This is a youngster that they have high hopes for, and uh, he should get plenty of opportunity this year. What's interesting here is that, you know, it kind of played out like we thought it might after all the offseason departures. There's really not a lot of um, offense from this team coming from those forwards. You know, you look at their top uh, point producers right now, and it's Seth Jones, uh, you know, is up there. Zach Rewinski's in the top 10. Marcus Nutavara's in the top 10 as well. Uh, nobody has more than five points on this team. So, there's good in that, that the scoring's kind of spread out. They're not overly, overly reliant on any one line, but there are games where you need somebody to step up, and we just haven't seen that yet from them, and I think that's why their record is what it is at this point. Um, they're in a you know, very tough division here, uh, and if they can't kind of start you know, finding offense coming from that top line or top two lines, I think they're really going to struggle down the stretch relying solely on defensive scoring. But to your point, getting Anderson back might be a catalyst to help improve that. Well, you mentioned defenseman scoring. Uh, I got a point about that with the Dallas Stars where Heisken is actually outproducing out Klingberg. They're partnered up on the top pairing there. It's not too much. There's a few teams out there that, that have a couple of off- offensive types partnered up on, the, on their top pairing. This is one of them. Heiskanen might be a, in position to keep this up all year long. I wonder if he will outscore Klingberg. That, that could be a situation to watch, getting the right uh, Dallas defenseman in, in your lineups on a nightly basis. On the flip side, J- Jamie Venn uh, continues a lackluster from a lackluster last season he's only got five points in 11 games so far this year and uh, holding on to left wing on the second line dropping from the top unit with Sagan his shots on goal per game and playing time and power play time are all down and in a subpar start to this season even compared to last year Corey Perry on the flip side has joined his new club finally made his debut has three points in three games as the right winger on the second line but the big question there is can this guy stay healthy so while the stars are floundering at three seven and one there are a couple of guys that they're looking at to see if they can improve their lot 
Well, and they need Alexander Radulov to to find his his scoring touch here. You know, he's goalless in in uh, seven straight here. Had three of those games where he put five or more shots on goal. So he's certainly getting opportunities. He's getting power play time. He just needs a little puck luck at this point. And I think, you know, uh, for his sake, just throw everything at the net. Get a get a weird bounce. Get something. You need one to get in here at some point to kind of break. Uh, through this and once he gets going again uh, you know they could have based on their depth on the right wing they could have three solid lines capable of scoring you've got Perry Pavelski and Radulov there uh, and that gives them options but the other guys need to step up as well as as you mentioned Uh, but I think Radulov might be the key to giving them scoring depth throughout the lineup. AJ, I know that we've talked about the fact that in the home office there where you are in Madison, there's a number of Red Wings fans, and they've got to be delighted with the f- couple of bits of news that I'll break out. Uh, in terms of breakout candidates, at the beginning of the season, we thought that Anthony Mantha would be a guy, and he's got 10 points in the first eight games playing left wing on the top line. Tyler Bertuzzi on the flip, on the other flank, is eight points in eight games. He's another candidate to keep that up all year long. I'm not saying they're going to be point-of-game guys, but certainly locks for 60-plus points going forward. In the Nets, Jonathan Bernier uh, is out playing fellow veteran Jimmy Howard in the early going. They've each appeared in four starts. Splitting the load seems to be the way they're going to go all season long here. No reason to stray from that to burn anybody out. Uh, in terms of the one disappointment that stands out for me, it's Franz Nielsen. Uh, no points through his first five games played. You know, when they're infusing so many youngsters, it's up to the veterans to do their part, and this is one guy that's just not pulling his weight. Well, another guy really not pulling his weight here either is, is Trevor Daly right now. You look at, you know, he had an injury to start the year, so that hurt a bit. He missed three games with that, but of the last three, he was a healthy scratch uh, in one of them. Hasn't uh, has just two shots on goal in those two games, and this is a guy you're playing three point almost three point two million dollars to be a healthy scratch. That's a lot of money to put up in the press box, and really, uh, they haven't gotten a lot out of him. And I question whether or not he'll find himself um, back. You know what? As an observer, once Cholo Whiskey is cleared to play, he's dealing with an undisclosed injury that could bump Daly from the lineup again. I wouldn't be shocked to see Trevor Daly finish the season on another club at this point. You talked about a buy a, a sell high candidate in David Pasternak. More appropriate for me is, is James Neal in Edmonton. Nine goals in nine games played. The Oilers on, on fire with a 7-1 on one mark. And uh, Zach Cassian is, is a guy that we highlighted at the beginning of the season. Anybody that plays with McDavid and Dreisaitl as a player to watch, this guy's turned that opportunity into six points in the early going in nine games and uh, protecting those guys as well as he is and playing as well as he is. This could be one of the surprise values in the league if he holds on. Alex Chason won't lose his top six role. Another tough guy in there despite the fact he only has one point in six games played as left wing on the second line they just haven't got guys to contend with him in that position so i think he's going to get a little bit longer rope to reply reprise what Cassian's doing on the top unit the goalie tandem here has been outstanding smith and koskinen have allowed only 20 goals in nine games played and that defensive structure is really news uh, newsworthy when you're talking about the edmonton oilers and defensive acumen i've never been able to say that in one sentence in a long long time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to your point, you know, about the kind of reliance on the top two lines here and not having any depth, you look at their third group of she- uh, Sheehan, Russell, and Kahara, they've got one assist between the three of them. And that's, you know, if you're going to win games defensively, 
by all means, but uh, you know, I, I think uh, you want a little bit more. And actually, I look again. I, I misread uh, my stats here. Uh, that's zero points between the three of them. Um, and so you really you need a little bit more out of that group. Um, if you want to win games defensively, that's all well and good. But at some point, you need more than just your first two lines putting uh, you know pucks in the net. And I, I think that's something that could come back to bite them late in the season here. Uh, in Florida, we've talked about the big guns often enough. We want to stay away from them in terms of my commentary here. But uh, Connolly is a guy in this lineup that is looking good right now on the second line. Brett Connolly, surprising with seven points and. The early going and hoping to build on 46 that he tallied in Washington last year. So a pretty solid addition to the top six. And uh, it was a group that we had a hard time picking six offensive guys last year. But uh, with his addition, they kind of solidified that. And on the blue line, the same story exists. When we were talking last year, it was the top defensive pairing of scoring defensemen, uh, Yandel and Ekblad. But now you can add Mackenzie Weger to that. And he might be a person of interest as long as he holds on to left wing pairing alongside Ekblad, who uh, looks like he's ready to play uh, up to his potential. Uh, both guys are, are seeing their minutes played and shots on goal rate up over last season. And in the Nets, though, uh, Bobrovsky is disappointed, quite frankly, with a 407 goals against average, a pitiful 872 save percentage. I don't didn't ra- recommend the hype at the start of the season, and I'm justified in saying that uh, so far I'm right on the money on this one. What I'm looking forward to tonight is seeing what Brian Boyle still has to offer um, after he signed with the team, uh, you know, just uh, a few days ago here yesterday, actually. Um, And so he'll make uh, his debut tonight. Looks like he'll slot in as a third line center for them. And I I honestly think that's an upgrade um, from what they've had. I think having a veteran like him there will help Frank Vetrano potentially uh, improve his numbers there and, and maybe get uh, get going here a little bit as well. So I'm really uh, kind of intrigued by this, uh, you know, early season addition, you know, bringing him off the the near retired list, as it were, um, and, and signing him. So we'll see what that uh, that bodes, you know, how that bodes for them tonight. The L.A. Kings are three, five and oh, nobody expects this team to be a playoff team, A.J., but uh we do want to find out what they have in the nets, and they're giving Ka- uh, Jack Campbell a shot to prove himself in this goalie split. His numbers have uh, out- outpaced what uh, Jonathan Quick is-, is doing so far, and Quick has been the subject of some early season trade rumors. Nobody's going to want this guy the way he's playing right now, though, and he's got to straighten that around. Up front, uh, a combination of youngsters and veterans. Some are doing well, some are not. Let's start with the guys that aren't. Alexia Follow. I don't know how this guy holds on to a top six role here, AJ. Maybe it's by default through last season and early this year. Again, a slow start, only two points on his ledger. Jeff Carter, only three points. This is a guy who is a score-first type of forward. The veteran has lots of 30-goal years in his, under his belt, but this just isn't a, a start that makes me think another one's in store. But uh, the leaders, Doughty and Kopitar, on defense and up front, both look very engaged, both looking to rebound off what for them were uh, relatively ordinary seasons last year. Well, you want to talk about, you know, quick. I I had somebody ask, um, you know, on Twitter whether or not to hold on to Jonathan Quick after these early season struggles. And for me, you know, I actually have quick in, in one of my leagues and it just felt too soon. Um, yes, three bad outings, you know, he has kind of been splitting the role, um, here with, with Jack Campbell, but his most recent performance against Calgary was, was a decent, you know, 23 saves out of 24, just one goal allowed. And, and maybe the two nights off, 
um, kind of, you know, woke him up a little bit. We'll see if that is prolonged. But for me, you know, just, you know, a couple weeks into the season, four outings in, it, it, it's too early to bail for me on Jonathan Quick. Um, I'm going to ride it out a little bit longer. Maybe that's not the right play here, uh, but that's at least what, what I'm planning on doing and, and what I would recommend as well. I wonder how many people are bailing on the entire Minnesota Wild outfit, AJ. Two and six is the record in the early going. Matt Zuccarello was supposed to be a big part of this offense. Uh, he's set to make a return after missing four games, but he hasn't done anything offensively for this club, and I, I think that's one of the bigger surprises for me for, for players that moved on to new situations. I really thought this guy would be a great fit, and he might turn out to be, but right right now, uh, boy, it's stay-away time here. And uh, the guy who's paying for this mostly is Devin Dubnik. Their workhorse go- goalie is... Uh, sporting a 418 goals against and an 874 save percentage through the early going and uh, it doesn't help when veterans like Donato, Fiala and Stahl have combined for a total of no goals and four assists uh, through the first eight games here. Well, I do think one person that's uh, probably um, ready to sell on the Minnesota Wild right now is Bill Guerin. I'm guessing the selling uh, is going to be Bruce Boudreaux. I would anticipate at this point he is the first uh, coach to get the axe this year. You know, the the team is struggling. Um, He's not the guy that the GM hired. Um, Usually they like to bring in their own person, but obviously a coach is, you know, with some uh, a resume like Bruce Boudreaux, you're not going to come in and, and fire him right away. There are some other viable candidates out there that could get the axe. Jim Montgomery uh, as one. Peter DeBoer with San Jose's struggles is is another. But um, I, I definitely think Boudreaux uh, is just primed in this situation to, to get let go here. And that will allow uh, Gary to bring in his own coach here. So uh, I expect it. I, at this point, if I had to guess, I think he'll make it uh, through, I'll say, mid-November. So I would say by Thanksgiving uh, the Minnesota Wild have a new coach. Yeah, that's a marker in time. Usually the U.S. Thanksgiving is a time where teams do, take stock of their teams, and uh, I agree with you. He is at the top of the list of the guys with their neck in the noose right now. Shameful, uh, Shamefully, the, for a guy who's had a great career behind the bench, uh, he's taken a hit here for something that he didn't really create with some of the bad contracts they have. Montreal Canadiens, speaking of a team with a couple of bad contracts that I've talked about in the past, uh, lots of money for Carey Price in his 30s and Shea Weber in his mid-30s here for the foreseeable future. Price is carrying the load. You can't quarrel with what he's done so far. But Keith Kincaid was brought in to uh, help with the backup goalie situation. He's bombed out in, in his two starts. So if this team needs, is going to make the playoffs, I think they got to rely on Carey Price to play upwards of 65 games here. And uh, his health will be... Uh, tested at that workload the defense uh, rests with petrie and weber we called for a rebound season for weber he's got five points but petrie instead of taking a hit behind their acknowledged number one uh, point producer has outpaced him with six so that's good news there another bit of good news jonathan drew and with eight points but will he keep this up boy oh boy i'd I'd say this guy's a sell candidate for me too aj Uh, i don't expect it based on the track record here Uh, an important piece is missing from this lineup though Uh, doesn't get a lot of play and that's Joel Armia he was brought in to add some toughness but uh, this year four goals and one assist as well in seven games played but it's his physicality that was a key addition he's listed at day-to-day now and they need to get him back in the lineup as soon as possible to uh, continue a better than average start to the season yeah I mean that's exactly how we all predicted it at the start of the year that Joel Armia would be tied for the goal lead um, in Montreal after just a few games 
you know, I, I will say he, you know, from his time in, in Winnipeg, I, I thought this guy could be a really good addition for Montreal. And, and so far he has been, you know, uh, two of his four goals have come on the power play. He always found himself in like a third line role in Winnipeg, uh, but still was added uh, to the to the power play because he can offer you know kind of that net front pest uh, presence there and so I do think overall that's been a good addition they do as you said really need to get him back I would like to see a little bit more out of Nick Suzuki at this point just 13 shots on goal through the first nine games has three points to show for it including a power play assist um, but you know I think uh, for a team that's relying on some younger guys like that, I think a fourth line role is is really not good enough. And I, I would hope uh, that he could work his way up and, and maybe get a shot here uh, at top six. I, I would imagine he could beat out Jordan Wheel for a spot there. But clearly at this point, the coaching staff hasn't seen enough to really warrant that move. Yeah, you could add uh, Jesperi Kokanyemi to the list of disappointments. There are only three points uh, to his ledger through the early going. They're expecting more from the kids, as you suggested. Uh, Nashville Predators 4-3-1. Philip Forsberg uh, was strong out of the gate with eight points in six games before injury caused him to miss the last two starts. On defense, uh, Ryan Ellis on fire. Uh, I've drafted him in a couple of leagues, and I'm really looking good there with 11 points from him in his right-wing role on the top pairing. Uh, Matt Duchesne and and, uh, Ryan Johansson combining for 17 points in the top two center positions are living up to our billing as a very solid one-two at at center, and that's a luxury that they haven't had too too often in Nashville, so I hope they run with it, and we'll see what they get because we know the defensive structure is in place, and uh, that's underscored by looking at Pekka Rinning with a 4-0-1-1 start with 2.56 goals against and a 9.13 save percentage. That's turned back the clock time for this guy who kind of was going the other way uh, last season, but looks to right of the ship the veteran in store for what could be a pretty good year well look we've talked a lot about you know some calls that we've gotten right and i'm not afraid to eat crow when i get one wrong here so far to start the season uc saros has been a huge disappointment you know we talked about him being the opportunity for Rene to play closer to 55 games be well rested for the postseason through his first three games has given up four more goals in each of them for a 4.75 goals against average 0.853 save percentage all losses and those aren't the kind of numbers that are going to instill confidence which means that Peke Rene despite a great start you know he should be in the nets obviously but that's going to increase his workload back up closer maybe to that 60 mark which isn't necessarily uh, what the goal was here for this team heading into the season they're looking for postseason success you saw his numbers drop down to 56 last year I think that would be ideally suited to keep him rested and ready for the postseason um, but at this point it's not going to happen because they're going to have to rely on him with sorrow struggling so badly well and the new jersey devils they got to be a little bit concerned with the slow start of nico Heischer. the guy made bank though he signed a big contract recently aj multi-year deal at seven million dollars a season only two assists to show for his first six games and you pair that with jack hughes slow start at center the rookie has two points uh, Uh, to date in the eight games so more is expected from both of them we'll cut Hughes some more slack than he sure at this point one guy that's gone the other way uh, come right in and performed is Nikita Gusev from the KHL's top scorer they've got three goals and one assist uh, in his ledger in the early going and if you're serving Crow I'm going to take some of that myself with my call on Damon Severson Uh, I thought he would be uh, able to reprise what he did last year as a solid offensive defenseman but he's only got seven shots on goal, never mind any points, uh, and a very diminished role 
uh, in terms of the offense, not even seeing much power play time. I guess that's thanks to a, some certain guy named P.K. Subban in the mix here. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at Damon Severson's numbers. If he's not contributing offensively, you'd like him to be solid on the back end. Well, he's minus six, which is the worst on the team right now. So he's really not giving you anything on either end of the ice, which could be, to your point, kind of miscast. He doesn't know right now what role he's supposed to be playing. Is he a defensive defenseman? Is he an offensive you know, minded guy? Um, and that's something that they, I think, need to work out there. You know, it's hard to bag on a guy for having six points in eight games, but Taylor Hall needs to start finding the back of the net. Just one goal to start the season for a 3.1 shooting percentage, uh, which is, again, one of the lowest on this team right now. Um, You know, 32 shots, he leads the way in that category. So certainly uh, getting his chances, but they need more production out of this top six here if they're going to right the ship and be the playoff contending team that I thought they could be at this point. I I don't, you know, I don't think they're finishing top three in this division. They're not going to be a wild card if they can't turn this around. The goal differential right now is a minus 12, uh, which is uh, bested only by Minnesota, which is a minus 14. Uh, So they need to find offensive production here. New York Islanders sitting with a 5-3 and Mark have to be pleased with that start and a large part of that is the goalie split working out very well as both Thomas Grice and Semyon Varlamov are really playing great right now and uh, a guy who's emerged on the back end is Devin Taves I thought Nick Letty would be the guy to linchpin on the defense in terms of scoring but Taves looks like he's uh, taken on that role he's got five points here not what we expected in terms of the way he the leadership of the scoring on the back end would take place. They have a nice one-two up front in the middle of the ice in Matthew Barzal and Brock Nelson. Nelson has been an under, underrated scoring uh, center who's, who's performed well last year and off to a good start this year. Matthew Barzal, though, he, he has superstar caliber uh, talent, and uh, he's shown it in flashes, and right now, off to an early start, could be a nice add-on if you're, if you're sh- dealing with injuries or underperformance in the pivot position. Might be a guy that you want to look at. Jordan Everly, you know what, I've been high on this guy, but I've been disappointed for a long time uh, thinking that he would reach another level in his uh, in his scoring prowess. But he's back on the IR after only three assists and five games played. Looks like another ordinary season in store from him, which disappoints me. Uh, Pellick and Pullock, a defense pairing here uh, that's a bit of a tongue twister. They've combined for only two assists in total. Both of them were uh, expected to do much better than that. If you project these totals, you're looking at 20-point seasons from both. I think there's more upside than that in each of them, so uh, keep an eye on those two to see if they can turn their seasons around. One player that I'm kind of keeping an eye on here, and maybe uh, I pick my shot here in terms of, of DFS contests a little too soon, I think, for, for season long, but Oliver Wallstrom uh, with the club right now, he's the 11th overall pick in 2018, uh, has three points in four games to start the year in the minors. He's up with the big club right now, and he's playing with Broussard and Bailey, which I think can give him some decent value here uh, and may open the door for, for him to, to you know find that first NHL point. Now, granted, uh, you look at his number or his points on FanDuel so far, his best game was just his most recent one with set, uh, 6.4 points. Uh, on FanDuel there, but I think there's an opportunity to use him here in the right matchup, in the right opportunity. So something to keep an eye on. I don't go in on him on season long yet because I do think he'll kick back to the minors uh, sooner rather than later, but maybe an opportunity here to get that first NHL point sooner rather than later. 
you know, we both have been high on Jesper Fast in the past, and this speedy winger is really enjoying a nice fit on the right wing on the top line opposite Panarin and Zibanejad in that top unit. And if he stays there, he could be a sneaky good value this season, continuing that hot start. Uh, Brett Howden, though, miscast as the number two setter here. One goal and no assists. The, uh, maybe they want to take a look at Philip Keitel uh, if he can come back from the minors because this Howden guy just not fit, fitting the bill. They don't have many other options in the middle of the ice here as far as I can see. Uh, on the back end, they have to be thrilled with Jacob Truba's performance. Look at the shot rate here, AJ. You mentioned they've only played six games. He's got 24 shots on goal. That's excellent production and six points besides that so looking like he's a lock to get a 50 plus point season there aren't too many defensemen that do that so if you have him you're in good shape in terms of the net minding this is one situation that i want to watch very closely all year long and uh, out of the shoot uh, henrik lundquist four starts the goals against is 3.57 he's being outplayed by georgiev in his two starts a 256 goals against I expect that this is going to be a more even split than the 4-2 four, four to two that we see uh, at this point, and Georgia will get a lot more action down uh, as the year progresses. Well, you mentioned Philip Chido. He's currently leading the Hartford Wolf Pack in scoring right now with eight points uh, through their first six games, three goals, five assists there. Uh, one of those tallies coming on the power play, and so to your point, I agree. I think it's time to call him up and, and give him a look. If you don't want to do that, if you think he's better suited by a little more development time, then maybe take a look at Vinny Letary, uh, a guy who, you know, I think you know what you're getting uh, in him. You're not really waiting on his development. He's right behind uh, Chido with seven points. So either one of those guys, I think, would be a decent opportunity uh, to call him up uh, and give give a look here instead of Howden. And then the other spot here, potentially, I think, uh, is Elias Anderson. You know, his minutes have been really low. His most recent game, just 848, and maybe you slot him in there. I think he's better suited to be on the wing, but they've used him pretty consistently on center since he joined the Rangers. Um, and so, you know, see what they got here um, in some other guys, because to your point, I agree, Brett Howden just not working out for them right now. In Ottawa, they got a lot of players, uh, were uh, fringe players, third and fourth liners elsewhere, and they're producing here. I like what I've seen from Connor Brown, and I expected his production to take a spike in the positive direction. Five assists on the ledger. I expect this guy to be a 40 to 50 point producer and a sneaky good value in the odd DFS situation given the matchup, but a lock to play top six minutes here. Apart from his plus-minus, I'm also not afraid to use Thomas Shabbat on defense. This guy's logging almost half a game when he plays every night, 26-plus minutes. Uh, the points will come. Uh, this guy will be among the top-scoring defensemen in the league, despite the fact he plays for one of the also-reds. And the uh, same could be said for Brady Tuchuk. This guy, 27 shots on goal in seven games played, and I think he's going to be the face of this franchise offensively before too long. Uh, he's a buy candidate for me, only three points so far. If there's anybody willing to give up on him, you've got to jump all over that opportunity, particularly in dynasty leagues. I, I got to ask you, AJ, why they're continuing to play Craig Anderson more than they are Nelson. Uh, the goals against is 3.25 for Anderson. He's 38 years old. They got to see whether Nelson can handle a, a heavier workload. He's got a 2.97. He played a good game last night, 2.97 goals against in three games. I'd love to see them give him a run. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I will say Nelson's first game out, 
not stellar, but it was against the Blues, who are a quality team, gave up five goals on on 36 shots. So, okay, maybe you use Anderson a little bit more, but in his last two appearances, yes, they were both losses um, for for Nilsson there, but a combined 1.95 goals against average in those those pair of contests, and that's against Vegas. Uh, who's a quality team that was an overtime loss. He faced 54 shots in that game, stopped 52 of them against Dallas. They put in 40, 43 shots against goal again, uh, stopping all but two of them there. And so really uh, he's getting peppered with goals, performing well, you know, uh, when I, when I'm looking at a DFS goal, I, I do try and go, um, for guys that are going to get the win, but you can still get solid value, uh, out of just shots against, you know, you look at that game against Vegas where he faced 54 shots, didn't get the win an overtime loss instead, still worth 35.2 points on FanDuel that night. Uh, and so maybe an opportunity to use him in one of these opportunities, you know, his next start, because, the numbers are there. Why he's not starting, I can't really speak for that. That's a question for the coaching staff, but I think he should be and maybe a good uh, a DFS guy for you in the future. Another good preseason call that we had was Travis Konecti, partner. Ten points in seven games out of the shoot, on fire right now. On the flip side, Kevin Hayes has started slowly in his new digs, only two points, and he's been dropped from a top six role at center to third line minutes. He did score last night. Maybe that's the beginning of a bit of a turnaround. He needs to do that to regain that position, though. JVR, surprisingly, has been slotted in on the top line with a couple of veterans, Voracek and Giroux, in a revamped top unit to see if they can get the big guy to pop some goals. He's filling the net with shots on goal with 32 so far in seven games. That's almost five a game, but nothing to show for it at all in terms of points. And a guy who's uh, also been struggling to score is uh, Shane Gostisbehere. He's been a ghost through the first six pointless games on his schedule. Finally got a an assist last on Monday uh, in in, a, in the blowout against Vegas. Oscar Lindblom is a guy that's looking good as the second line left wing with Couturier and Konechny on what is the Flyers' best line right now. Well, and I think their best goaltender is uh, a blast from the past in, in a sense in Brian Elliott right now. He was really, um, you know, he came in in relief in, in one game against Ottawa or um, I'm sorry. Yeah, he came off the bench in, in that one. Uh, and his last two starts, though, you're looking at 36, uh, you know, 37 goals faced, 35 or 37 shots faced, 35 shots faced, two solid outings, gets a win last night over uh, the Golden Knights there. And so really it seems to have taken over. Uh, you know, we talked about this being the Carter Hart era. I'm not ready to say that that's, you know, that he is a flop or that that's, you know, over now. Um, but this is just indicative of having a 21 year old starting goalie. There's going to be bad runs here. And Brian Elliott provides them a little bit of stability here. If Hart's struggles carry on a few more weeks, um, he may see his opportunities really dwindle. Um, I would be shocked if they tried to move him to the minors just because I, I think he's better suited at this point in his career to be up with the big club. But you could see Brian Elliott kind of steal away the lion's shares of the start here starts here if he can if Hart continues to struggle beyond just these early kind of hiccups. And now we get to your favorite club, AJ. Six and three is the record. Uh, if you would have told me they'd be six and three without Evgeny Malkin on, in the lineup here this early, I'd be I'd register a big surprise. I think you'd have to be the saying the same thing. In fact, several veterans out of, out of the lineup, but one of the guys who's helping to hold the fort is Patrick Hornquist. He stepped it up with four goals and three assists, playing top six minutes on the right wing. 
Matt Murray's excelled in seven games uh, that he's played out of the nine. That has to be a big part of the successful menu so far, the remedy for success, rather. And then Marcus Pedersen, a guy that I've liked uh, at times in DFS play, he's, he's looking like a nice ad if you're looking for a scoring D-man. He's got five points in the bank already. Uh, another guy who's played a big role is Jared McCann, playing well as a second-line center, but he's missed two of the last three games with injury, and boy, if, if they lose him in the middle of the ice, I don't know who they're going to call on to play center beyond Sidney Crosby here. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a couple of younger guys. You know, Adam Johnson played some center for them a, a, a couple games ago, um, and they really have had to kind of mix things up after Malkin and, and Bukestad went down and, and McCann missed those games as well. But it looks like they'll get McCann back tonight. Um, and one of the youngsters that's really, really stepped up for them in this kind of uh, situation has been Sam Lafferty. Five points through seven games here. Um, I don't anticipate he'll stick with the team beyond them getting fully healthy, but it's certainly possible here. Um, you know, one uh, kind of flop that has not worked out for them at this point has been the acquisition of Dominic Cahoon. Now, Olimata uh, and the blue line was considered expendable, and especially the emergence of John Marino, who doesn't have any points on the year. Um, but you look at his defensive uh, situational awareness, he's been a great great addition to the club on, on the back end to the point where Eric Goodbranson has had to sit um, for periods of the season. They seem to continue to want to use Jack Johnson. And so far it hasn't burned them. He's only minus one at this point has an assist of his own. Um, and so I think we're going to see some more guys moved. Uh, Dominic Cahoon though, really just not working out just two assists through nine games, despite getting prime opportunities to play bigger minutes. They've had guys like Adam Johnson, you know, Sam Lafferty come in uh, and play bigger roles and, and succeed better than a guy that they pegged uh, to potentially be a huge part of uh, this year's season. In St. Louis, a couple of veterans after some slow starts uh, or no opportunity are making the most of time, their time moving up in the, in the roster and scoring has happened as a result. Alex Dean promoted to the second line left wing over Robbie Fabry, who's uh, gone the other way now, a fourth line left winger. He's got only one point so far. They have to be disappointed with that. And, and uh, Justin Falk uh, looking, uh, looking like he's ready to be part of the mix offensively after a slow start. He now has four assists. And uh, 19 shots on goal before last night's games. He's now paired with Jay Bowmeister. I like that pairing, and I think we can expect to see Falk take off and, and start to really earn the big ticket that he's been uh, signed to in, with the Blues. The goaltending here, not delivering top-level performances so far. Bennington, before last night's game, had a, sported a 293 goals against average. Jake Allen, even worse at 417. they got to get that under control. The overall defensive structure been lacking, but they did put in a better effort last night top scorers have brought the offense and that is the best news here in st louis yeah and the other good thing for this team is you've got a guy in vince dunn who seems to be really settling in well on the power play here he's got a goal and two assists uh to start the year through the first nine games all have been power play uh you know points here and so really uh they're getting something out of him that they've been hoping for for a little while here and to your point i think goaltending uh, is the big concern, which is surprising after last season that you would come in and say that that's the problem that they're having right now. Robert Thomas being pointless to start the year certainly isn't helping things either, although he did miss a, you know five games there uh, due to injury, uh, but you'd like to have seen him already started to contribute at this point, and his minutes have been really down in his three games back. 
uh, hasn't topped uh, over 11 minutes in any of those games. His average is less than uh, 10. And so a, a bit of a surprise there, too, as well, that his minutes have been down so much. I, in San Jose, I spoke of the fact that in a few leagues that I'm in, Thomas Hurdle, people bailed on him after three games. Well, you know, after five games, well, he's got six points in his last three games, and happily I snapped him up before that all went down. So I'm, I'm, I'm making bank on, on his performance. But the goalies here are really poor out of the gate. Martin Jones has to get his act together. That 339 average uh, is not good. And Aaron Dell, even worse, at 348. Uh, the story is, can they keep the puck out of the net? And I wonder up front, Patrick Marlowe playing right wing on the top line, is that a long-term solution here? It shouldn't be, but I don't see a lot of real options here on the right flank here, AJ. So uh, this is a team that struggled out of the gate that I thought was going to be a contender. They got some work to do. Yeah, there really isn't anybody. Maybe Kevin LeBanc um, is is someone who could push him there, but even then you still got Marlowe in a top six role. Uh, Even at this point in his career, you know, a little bit, uh, to use your phrase, long in the tooth here. But I would rather have Patrick Marlowe in a top six than Marcus Sorensen or Barclay Gaudreau at this point. Um, And so I think that's where we're going to see him, whether it's top line or not. uh, I, you know, who who knows at this point. But I really think uh, he does make sense as an addition to this team. You know, they tried. I think what they were trying to do, honestly, and, and I don't have any insider information on this, but I think. They were trying to see what they had in some of these younger guys to start the season and see if they could ride them into to bigger roles and, and really kind of move on and get younger. And those guys just didn't work out. Uh, and so they called, uh, you know, an old an old favorite there in Patrick Marlowe. And, and so far it's worked out great. Three points through four games. Uh, that's exactly what you're hoping for when you bring in a veteran like him. And uh, we turn our attention to Tampa, and you look at the scoring leaders here with all the name, name, uh, name recognition guys up front. I'm a little surprised to see three defensemen in their top five scorers, but Hedman, Shattenkirk, and Servikachev, all guys who've done it in the past, you might be a little surprised that Shattenkirk is, is riding so high, but we called for a breakout for Sergachev, and he's delivering the goods, and Hedman, certainly perennially, one of the top scoring D-men when healthy. Vasilevsky behind those defensemen, though, sporting a 315 goals against average. I think that's a bit of a surprise, and they've got to watch that, keep the goals against down to be competitive because the goals, the game uh, record so far is only 4-3-1, and one, and a large part of that is the subpar goaltending with their veteran who stood uh, above the league, heads and, head and shoulders above the league, according to you, and I agreed. The top line features Stamkos, Kucherov, and Point on the same unit. I wonder if they're going to keep those three guys intact on the top line. It's just three of the top scoring guys in the NHL on one unit. That's a luxury that I might like to see them spread out through the roster. Patrick Maroon, stuck as a left wing on the fourth line, needs to aim higher and produce more than he is to shake out of that role. I think he's one of the bust candidates uh, so far that uh, is looking like not not likely to get out of the the doldrums here in, in Tampa. Yeah, I think, you know, the fact that they're uh, sitting in fifth in the Atlantic right now might be enough to encourage them to break that top group up. Um, but if they can kind of keep them together a few more games and, and move, you know, into the you know top three and, and start to challenge Buffalo here for, for the lead in the Atlantic. I can't believe I just said that, by the way, <laughs> um, you know, maybe they keep them together. I think results are what's going to come down to. Uh, you know, sometimes there's such a thing as too much of a good thing. And so you want to move those ag- around, guys around. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it is also another saying here. And if they're, you know, getting this team 
where they need to go by stockpiling those guys on the top unit. So be it. Um, obviously, to your point, you mentioned some guys that you know we expect more from in the bottom six here. And that's an area where I think you could see this team uh, try and make a move heading, you know, into the trade deadline here. I know we're, you know, still months away from that, but obviously these conversations need to start now. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them try and bolster some forward depth, uh, you know, before we get to get to February. Uh, the Maple Leafs, they took one on the chin last night, a 4-3 overtime loss at home to Columbus. Uh, they're hurting because JT, John Tavares, is out two weeks with a broken finger. That puts a lot of pressure on, on Austin Matthews, and I've seen him play two pretty good games uh, since Jonathan Tavar- John Tavares is out of the lineup. They're giving him more ice time, too, so look for big numbers from, from the big center, the big young center, if he gets this opportunity going forward. Ilya Mikhaev, one of two rookies among the top scoring rookies in the NHL for the Leafs. Seven points uh, so far. He's moved into the second line on the left wing in the revamped lineup as a result of the injury to Tavares. Kerfoot and Moore were his partners before that. They've banked five points each so far in third line roles. And Moore uh, looks to me like a guy you can plug and play almost anywhere in the top three lines. So a luxury that they they will take advantage of, particularly if a guy like a Willie Nylander continues to be MIA. This guy's playing around the fringes, AJ, and I'm kind of sick of it, to be honest with you. Uh, at the beginning of the season, he said, oh, I'm going to dominate this year. He's not dominated at all. And if he keeps this up, he's going to start picking splinters out of his butt soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it speaks to this team's depth that you're able to, you know, kind of withstand a, a Tavares injury with some solid scorers here. Obviously, you would prefer to have JT in the lineup, duh. But to be able to slot in a guy like an Alex Kerfoot onto your second line uh, really uh, is is a luxury that this team has in, in terms of depth here. And I, I think, you know, they'll be fine. They're one of the few teams in the league uh, that could handle a top player like Tavares being out for an extended period of time. Uh, you know, there's a lot of clubs that if you know one of their top two top three players got hurt uh you would see them start to 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 nosedive here you know my one area of concern in in these top six is mitch marner's goals just three through the first 10 games but he's also got nine assists over that stretch six points on the power play um, but yeah the shooting percentage is a little low it's a 9.4 you'd like to see that closer you know to 12 13 somewhere in that range but the goals will certainly come and as long as he's helping his teammates score at the end of the day it doesn't really matter for fans maybe fantasy owners a little bit more concerned I thought Vancouver could be a t- contending team so far this season. They're making me look good. Five and three is the record here. And one of the guys that excited me in terms of a new opportunity is J.T. Miller. The veteran has been a scorer and a top six guy with some successful runs earlier in his career. And he's looking on, like he could be on his way to a career best season with eight points in the bank. And he's locked in as the first line left winger here on a pretty dynamic unit. In the Nets, Markstrom and Demko both excelling in goal. I expected a, a nice year from Markstrom, but he's being pushed by the youngster uh, who is the best of, of the rookie goalies out there in the landscape. Uh, they have a nice six-pack on defense, which bodes well for the ability of the, def- the goalies to do their bit. Uh, but we still have to talk about the contract of Louis Erickson. This might be the best, the worst deal uh, for uh, any player in the NHL. He's only got one game played, and he's on the books for $6 million. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to have the a guy making that much money in the in the press box certainly uh, isn't helping anything here. And so you obviously would like to see him break into the lineup, but it just doesn't seem 
uh, like it's going to happen right now because of some of these youngsters. Uh, you know, the one area that, that I kind of thought I expected more out of Michael Furland, I thought he could take advantage of getting uh, starting the year in that top line role. It really didn't happen. JT Miller was able to break into there. And now Furland's outside of the top six here, uh, you know, looking in. I don't think that's cemented, though. Jake Vertanen has just two assists through his first eight games played here. Uh, no goals yet. And his shots are just six shots through those first eight games. So I think there's plenty of time uh, for Furland to at least work back into a second line role. Although I think at this point, um, he may be hard pressed to try and, you know, break back into, uh, you know, into that, uh, first line. I think JT Miller may have, uh, firmly cemented himself there in Las Vegas. They sport a six, four at Mark, And, uh, we talked about some goalie situations where goalies are expected to play a lot of the games. Last night was the first time Marc-Andre Fleury did not start Oscar Dank dance got in the nets and he got lit up for six goals against including a bad first period look at if this keeps up they might uh, call on our old buddy uh, real kid poker to see if he can stop a few pucks because the they need to give flurry some nights off but they can't afford a six-pack against him shea, Th- shea theodore uh, on pace for a big offensive year five points in the bank so far this guy could join the ranks of the 40 plus point scoring defenseman to build on a nice season that he had last year with 37 the top two forward lines here are loaded and producing we're not going to go through all of that stuff but uh, Cody Glass is fitting in and producing now as a third line right winger. This is uh, the first rookie uh, from their minor league system and draft that really they've infused into the lineup offensively. And uh, he looks like he could be a fixture here for a long time. Yeah, I think obviously the concern in the Nets is is the injury to Malcolm Subban um, and whether or not, you know, how long he's going to be uh, on the outside looking in. The, the issue is, you know, he did get uh, he did get a start. And he was poor in that outing, gave up, uh, you know, two goals on, on just 14 shots. And they had to pull him and put Flurry in anyway, which I have never understood. Uh, so maybe a little mini rant here. If your backup goalie is in, I don't care if he's getting shelled or not. You leave him in because the point is to give your starter the night off. And that move really made no sense to me. If you're if you're starting Malcolm Subban to give Marc-Andre Fleury the night off, then you let Subban go out there and get rocked. And so be it, you know, that that's just how it is. And I think you saw that with Oscar dance last night, they certainly could have pulled him uh, rather than leaving him out there for, for six goals allowed, but that's not the point of putting in your backup netminder, in my opinion. So um, the first time it didn't make a lot of sense. I think it unnecessarily increased Fleury's workload to start the year here, but um, you know, so be it. He's handled it well, uh, you know, and is, is sitting high with six wins right now. And in Washington, you can see the benefit of having a solid backup when your starter is struggling. I mean, not to say Fleury's struggling by any means, but Braden Holtby certainly is. He's got a 3.70 goals against in seven starts. Ilya Samsonov was called in to see if he could be a good backup, and he's been more than that. 184 is the goals against average in his three appearances. He's going to push the incumbent if he continues that level of performance. A bit of a, a bit of big news here on the forward ranks is Tom Wilson has been bumped from the first line where he held that role all, all of last year pretty much, and TJ Oshie is back in that position, so his fantasy value and DFS value takes a big spike upwards as he's playing with, along with Baxter and Ovi on a familiar troika there uh richard panic uh on the ir uh 
week to week, it's a fairly significant injury. This guy was brought in to bolster the right wing, and it's not going to happen for a long time with this guy. And unfortunately, I'm going to be one of the guys that takes a hit in season long because I, I banked on this guy being a, a key factor in the top six as one of my uh, late round picks that looks like it won't pan out. Uh, other guys uh, like... Carl Haglin and Jakob Vrana are competing for left-wing minutes on the second unit. It uh, behooves you to take a look and see at this lineup who's getting that second-line role because they're going to be playing with Kuznetsov or Backstrom at center depending on how that rotation sets up. So keep an eye on those two wingers, and uh, they'll both be cheap in terms of DFS play. Yeah, Oshi has certainly earned that spot with seven goals to start the year, four of which have come on the power play. Uh, and so really uh, has broke, you know, earned his spot here on that that top six. And, you know, I think uh, for for me, I think that makes Tom Wilson a, a hard sell if you have him uh, in season long or, or uh, you know, an X through him for, for DFS, because I just think he's well suited to play on that top line with Alexander Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom. He offers a skill set that helps those guys get opportunities he can find open ice when other people draw the attention away but playing alongside kuznetsov and carl Haglin, that's just not going to be the uh you know opportunities aren't going to be there for tom wilson and so i think for me uh, i kind of avoid that at this point and i wouldn't be surprised to see someone like a jacob verana or even you know a, a uh, garnet hathaway kind of push him for a spot there without the benefit of playing with Ovechkin and Backstrom. And in uh, Winnipeg, we wind up our look around the league with the Jets as usual. Uh, surprise here is that Patrick Liney has more assists than goals, and that's a function of playing with the top two guys again, and they're putting the puck in the net with great regularity. Liney has to be thrilled with the top-line opportunity, but you can hurt, argue that it really hurts Kyle Connor's uh, value in DFS because he's only got four points, uh, now that he's playing on the left wing on the second line in that situation. And where at the beginning of the season we were concerned about where's the defense uh, going to come from, both uh, acumen at both ends of the ice in that regard, well, they're getting it right now because Connor Hallibuck is sporting a 228 goals against average in six starts. Uh, there was no way I was forecasting that behind a six-pack of defensemen that uh, you know might, you might have been looking at the milk cartons to find some of these guys <laughs> yeah, but willie willie hainola one of those guys that i'm talking about four points in seven games played he's third in terms of the pecking order here in terms of scoring neil pionk was a fine addition here and a guy under the radar that i thought could thrive in this mix and he certainly is with six points but that matches morrissey for the club lead so so a lot of good news that was unexpected in winnipeg and uh, they might even be better than a five and five record shows right now yeah, absolutely. I think they had some early season struggles that kind of, uh, you know, precipitated that. You know, you had a lot of young D men trying to figure out how to play at the NHL level. And, you know, Hinola, Tucker Pullman's played in 10 games. Uh, and so trying to get those guys acclimated to the NHL game, Carl Dahlstrom played in seven for them so far. And so uh, there's going to be some tough, you know, some tough outings to start the year. And I think you saw that in terms of the, you know, the shot attempts uh, on Connor Hellubuck in his first three games, you know, faced uh, 31, 38 and 40 in his first three outings was able to walk away with wins in two of those. And that number has decreased in his last four. Only one of those games has been more than 30 shots faced. 
Uh, and so I think as those guys continue to adjust, continue to develop, you're going to see uh, hell you buck benefit from that. And it, it really has been uh, a, a pleasant surprise for, for Jets fans out there. Well, that wraps up this week's episode, AJ, but I got to take my hat off to you. Uh, I, I expected a jet lag for effort, but you, <laughs> you brought it today and you brought it with some fire. Uh, appreciate the effort, partner, and thanks for joining me again. Yeah, absolutely. Just excited to get back to be able to watch hockey at, at a reasonable hour again <laughs> and, and really start taking it in. But uh, yeah, excited to be back. It was a, a great time uh, overseas. And, you know, I was able to take in a, a rugby match while I was over there. So as soon as Rotowire is ready to fire up uh, the rugby podcast, I'm good to go here. I, I know all the ins and outs, or at least I can tell myself I do, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a great time, but happy to be back. Excellent. Well, that wraps up this episode of podcast with Statsman and AJ. Our next episode will take place a week from today. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno at Statsman 22, and you can follow AJ at AJ Scholes 24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 